The following episode of Lyrics of Their Life podcast deals with serious issues such as drug references, sexual references and violence that may be distressing to some listeners. It is not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Lyrics of Their Life, the podcast that talks about the extraordinary lives lived by those that wrote or performed the songs we know and love. I'm your host Adam Hampton and in today's episode we jump right back into the story of Eminem with part 4 of his incredible story. So far we've explored Eminem's upbringing right through to the album Encore as Eminem ponders whether or not to continue on in the music industry. So if you haven't yet listened to parts 1 to 3, I highly recommend checking them out first. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. This is Eminem, part 4. This is Lyrics of Their Life. On the 6th of December 2005, Eminem released a greatest hits album called Curtain Call, The Hits. Eminem expressed why he called it Curtain Call by saying, quote, I'm at a point in my life right now where I feel like I don't know where my career is going. This is the reason that we called it Curtain Call, because this could be the final thing. We don't know. Curtain Call would be a huge success, selling close to 10.9 million copies around the world and charted at number one in Australia, New Zealand, the US, Canada, the UK, Ireland and Denmark, as well as in the top five in a further five countries, including Japan. The album included all of Eminem's biggest hits to date, as well as the Grammy's live version of Stan featuring Elton John, as well as four new previously unreleased tracks, two of which were too explicit for the clean version of the album. These tracks that were omitted from the clean version of the album were the opening intro skit and a track titled Fack, which saw Eminem rambling on in one of his strangest and arguably one of his most grotesque songs of his career and once again is referred to by a majority of his fans as one of the worst he had ever produced, and would rarely make the set list at live gigs. As Eminem in the song Fack describes every detail of the build-up to ejaculation, and he refers to the woman in question in the song as being a spitting image of porn star Jenna Jameson, before saying he's going to shove a gerbil up his rectum, as it gets even more intense from that point on, suggesting just how messed up he was at this point in time as he was using excessive sleeping pills. As he was quoted as saying, It was a goofy fucking song. I was taking a lot of fucking pills at the time. Ambien will make you do crazy shit. Imagine if you took it all day long. The first single to be released from Curtain Call was arguably one of Eminem's most underrated tracks of all time, titled When I'm Gone. While the track did manage to go to number one in Australia and on the UK R&B chart, 
as well as reach number four in the UK and eight in the US, the lyrics are simply brilliant and underrated and perhaps didn't receive the praise that they deserved. In this song, Eminem writes to his 10-year-old daughter Hayley and about how his career has often got in the way of raising his daughter right and being there for her. While Eminem often tried to put his kids first and tried to make it home to be with his kids as much as he could, his career as a successful rapper would see him tour a lot, be stuck trying to focus on writing songs or be in the studio for most of the time. Eminem also opens up in this song about how he wasn't there the time Kim tried to take her own life and how Haley had to witness that, while also expressing that if he ever does go away for good and passes away due to his problems with drugs and prescription medication, that quote, When I'm gone, just carry on, don't mourn. Rejoice every time you hear the sound of my voice. Just know that I'm looking down on you smiling, and I didn't feel a thing, so baby... Don't feel no pain, just smile back. Eminem expresses that he would do anything for his daughter Haley, and would go as far as losing a limb such as an arm for her, as mentioned in the first verse, and that he always expresses how much he loves her in his music, but also realises that he dismisses her at times, and that he also contradicts himself, as although he is often there with her physically, his mind is often in another place, whether it be wrapped up in his career, writing lyrics, or dealing with other matters, which is quite relatable for many parents out there, who often try to juggle their kids' needs and what's happening in their own personal lives. Eminem shows great self-awareness in this song, once again showing that he is slowly maturing as he gets older, despite songs like Fack. In the song When I'm Gone, Eminem expresses what Hayley would be feeling from her point of view and the innocence of her not understanding why he has to keep going away and that she is getting tired of her dad saying he won't leave her anymore, but then another tour comes around and he has to commit to it. It's clear that Eminem around this time was torn between pleasing his fans and being there for Hayley and his family and he had now got to a point where he needed to make a decision about his future before having the opportunity to watch his children grow up slips away. When I'm Gone acts as Eminem's farewell to the music industry as he leaves to go on his much-needed break and to focus on getting himself the help he needs to be there more presently with his daughters or his family, as depicted in the music video where Eminem acts as though he is speaking at a rehab convention, and later he sees Haley in the crowd, where she pleads with him to come home, and questions him on who he loves more, his fans or his family. Eminem also states in the song that the Slim Shady alter ego is now officially dead, as he raps the line, That's Slim Shady, yeah baby, Slim Shady's crazy, Shady made me, but tonight, Shady's rockabye baby. The second single from Curtain Call was titled Shake That, featuring rapper Nate Dogg, and became a minor hit, reaching number six in the US, with its pounding beat and highly sexualized lyrics, which was a big hit on the club scene, as Eminem and Nate Dogg rap about attending a strip club to witness the women shaking their large behinds and attempting to persuade them into having sex with them. The song brought about a lot of critical backlash, claiming Eminem's material was growing weaker, with songs like this and Fack 
but this was of course largely due to Eminem's dependency on prescription medications and admitting he started hitting a brick wall in terms of writing quality songs. That same year, in 2005, Eminem was named in the book 100 People Who Are Screwing Up America by Bernard Goldberg, with many rappers and also Michael Jackson being named. On January the 14th of 2006, Eminem and Kim shocked the world when they announced they had just gotten remarried. The news came out of nowhere, as apparently after a number of years apart, Kim's stint in rehab and Kim being incarcerated, Eminem allowed Kim to come stay at his house so she could spend a few days with the kids while she got settled back into the real world and recovered with Eminem taking good care of the mother of his children. While Kim was away at rehab, Eminem was left to look after Haley and Elena on his own and even took on Kim's daughter Whitney to her troubled ex-boyfriend Eric Harter as Whitney had nowhere to go as Eric was also in trouble with the law. With Kim coming back to stay with Eminem for a couple of days, two days quickly turned into two weeks when Kim and Eminem started becoming intimate again. As they then engaged in casual sex and soon enough, this blossomed into a confused state of rekindled love and familiarity, so Eminem out of nowhere decided to pop the question. While Kim was happy and excited, she also thought it was too soon and rushed, but Eminem was insistent that it's now or never, and if you're having second thoughts, then what's the point in being together at all? With Whitney turning three years old in 2005, and her biological father Eric Harter having very little to do with her and living a life of crime, Eminem decided to adopt Whitney, becoming her father and changing her name to Whitney Scott Mathers just before the wedding. Kim was quite worried though that they were approaching on two years together and usually she saw that as a period of time where their relationship would turn sour again and then they would break up and get back together again as the cycle had continued this way in the past. But despite her concerns and her doubts, Kim agreed to marry Eminem for the second time and had a nice wedding with their family, friends and the kids who read speeches at the wedding. While Eminem's good friend Proof was also his best man. But Kim's fears would become a reality when just over a month later, on the 25th of February 2006, Eminem stormed out over a disagreement between Kim and Eminem's little brother Nate with Kim stating that it had something to do with inappropriate behaviour. Kim says she was confused about why Eminem left and that he didn't come back for around a month, as he allegedly said that he was clearing his head. This time, however, Kim felt that Eminem had finally broken her heart and said she was done with him. Kim was left wondering if she was used as a publicity stunt for Eminem's personal gain with Eminem later claiming that his relationship with Kim by 2010 was a friendly one, with no intention of ever getting back together, but they made it work for the kids. Eminem never really spoke about how their marriage broke down for the second time, and has remained tight-lipped on it ever since. By 2006, Eminem was now a busy father with three children, including Elena, age 13, Haley, age 11, and Whitney, age 4, and was also from time to time having his 20-year-old brother Nate stay with him 
when he wasn't staying at his girlfriend Ashley's. The reality was that Eminem at this stage had the money and the space to raise the four of them the best he could, and he made sure they never went without, but also knew the importance of keeping them all grounded. So he had all his kids attend public schools, just like he had in the past, and always tried to live in a normal house, until stalkers and crazed fans, of course, became too much, and it was no longer an option. Eminem would officially file for divorce on the 15th of April 2006 after a major tragedy in his life occurred, ending their on and off relationship of 17 years for the final time and agreeing in court for joint custody of Haley, Elena and Whitney and to split their property. Just four days before Eminem had filed for divorce, on the 11th of April 2006, at 4.30 in the early hours of the morning, Eminem's best friend Proof was shot dead, aged just 32. It all happened when Proof was playing a game of billiards, or pool, by the bar, with his friends at a sketchy nightclub called the Triple C Club, east of 8 Mile Road, Detroit, Michigan. Proof had only been back in the country for a few days after touring Australia's Gold Coast. The game of pool had become heated over a disagreement and the man he was taking on in the game, named Keith Bender, who was a 35-year-old ex-Desert Storm veteran, started to brawl with Proof. A bouncer who happened to also be the cousin of Keith Bender, named Mario Efferidge, was also standing by and pulled a gun out, shooting a warning shot over the altercation. And while reports vary, the most supported scenario was that Proof retaliated to the gunshot after it sent a panic through the nightclub and pulled a loaded pistol and shot Keith Bender in the head. Bender was not yet dead upon impact, but was unconscious, which led Mario Efridge to retaliate and shoot at Proof three times, twice in the chest and a fatal shot to the head, killing Proof on the scene. Keith Bender was taken to hospital and placed on life support, where he too died eight days later from the bullet wound to the head, passing away on the exact same day of Proof's funeral. Police tried to claim that Proof pistol whipped and then shot Bender, execution style, before being shot by Efferidge, but this claim has often been met with criticism due to a lack of evidence. Another claim was by Proof's friend, Reginald Mud Moore, who was there at the time, and he believes Efferidge fired twice as a warning shot. Proof then grabbed Moore's pistol and also fired a warning shot. Bender then attacked Proof from behind, with Efferidge then firing at the two of them, killing them both. Upon further testing, it was discovered that Proof was four times over the legal alcohol DUI limit, with a reading of 0.32, but had no drugs in his system. After the police and the media claimed that Proof fired the initial shot, Proof's lawyer fought hard to prove this otherwise, as it was in fact Efferidge who fired the warning shot. The family of Keith Bender also filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Proof's estate, claiming that he did not cause Proof to be shot, while Mario Efferidge, who turned himself in, was placed into lockup for a day or two, but was let off by the judge, claiming that he was lawfully acting in defence of another, and was only charged for carrying and firing a firearm inside a building. 
Eminem was devastated by the news of Proof's death and attended his funeral held on the 19th of April 2006 in the Fellowship Chapel in Detroit. A huge 2,660 people attended the funeral, cramming into the usual 2,000 capacity chapel, with Eminem seated between Paul Rosenberg and 50 Cent, and behind Proof's family, that included his mother, wife, and his five children, along with other attendees, such as Dr. Dre, Treach and Vinny, of Naughty by Nature, Exhibit, Royster 59, and of course the members of D12, who were all there in his memory. Thousands more, including fans of Proof, gathered outside to mourn, before Proof was taken to his final resting place at Woodlawn Cemetery. D12 member Swift was actually jailed for 93 days for missing a court appearance for a DUI that was scheduled that very same day as the funeral, after he instead chose to attend his good friend Proof's funeral as he wasn't going to miss it at any cost and wanted to be there as a pallbearer. Proof was an extremely talented hip-hop artist who managed to release two EPs and two albums of his own over his career not to mention his work with D12 and Eminem, and he even had his very own label called Iron Fist Records. Proof's death would ultimately cause quite a tense feud within Detroit afterwards, with many murders and crimes being committed in retaliation. Proof would prove to be a massive loss to the rap game and Eminem, and it would ultimately be a moment that would change so much for Eminem. With Proof having portrayed Bugs much earlier in the music video for Like Toy Soldiers by Eminem, where Proof is laid out on the table imitating Bugs' death, Eminem stated in his memoir for The Way I Am, quote, In the year after Proof died, I would stare at the ceiling and think about that video. Did karma cause that to happen in real life? Did I? You always want to point the finger at somebody else when something like that happens. What was also interesting was a track that featured on Eminem's album Encore, titled One Shot Two Shot, featuring D12, and was coincidentally missing only one member, and that member was Proof. At that time, Proof had stepped away from the rap scene, so he wasn't available for recording, but what's strange is, the song was set in a club where a shooting goes down. After Proof's death, Eminem had Proof's name tattooed on his left forearm, joining the tattoos that he had already acquired over the years, including his uncle Ronnie's name, the name of his alter ego Slim Shady, a tattoo that reads Kim and Rod in pieces, with a tombstone for the end of their relationship, the name and portrait of his daughter Haley, text that reads Bonnie and Clyde with a vintage car, the name D12, as well as a tribal tattoo around his wrist that he got when he was wasted, along with a range of other tattoos. Around this time, Shady Records had started to see a downward spiral as artists signed to the label started experiencing far less success and Eminem's luck with the label had started to run out, with Obi Trice's second album, titled Second Rounds on Me, that was released in August 2006, only managed to sell over 250,000 copies worldwide, and his lead single, Snitch, struggled to break into the top 20 around the world. The album focused on Obi Trice's life and was quite dark, and a lack of sales were also blamed on the state of hip-hop at the time, as dance pop and electronic music began to emerge. 
During December 2006, Eminem also signed his sixth artist to Shady Records with rapper Cashiers joining from California. During this time, Eminem was approached by R&B artist Akon, who had asked him to collaborate with him on his idea for a song titled Smack That. Soon enough, the two met up in Detroit and Eminem produced and wrote most of the lyrics and by September 2006, it was released to the world. Smack That became a huge hit on both the mainstream and club charts, going to number one in around eight countries, including the UK and New Zealand, and making it to number two in four countries, including Australia and the US. At the time, it even broke the record for jumping the most amount of spots on the US Hot 100 chart, jumping 88 spots, going from 95 to 7 in one week due to sales and mass radio airplay. On the 4th of December 2006, a collaboration album titled Eminem Presents The Re-Up was released to the public. The album went to number one in four countries, including Canada and New Zealand, and made the top five in the US and the UK, becoming quite a popular release, as it featured a collaborative set of tracks from Shady Records rappers such as 50 Cent, Obi Trice, Bobby Creekwater, Stat Quo, Cashiers, remaining D12 members, and G-Unit rappers such as Lloyd Banks. The album included remixes of Smack That and Shake That, and the most successful single off the album was titled You Don't Know, which reached number 5 in Ireland, 7 in Norway, and 12 in the US, where it went platinum. While the second single, Jimmy Crack Corn, sees Eminem refer to his Interscope boss Jimmy Iovine and the rumoured sexual fling that Eminem had with Mariah Carey, as he refuses to pass it off as something that never happened. Eminem stated that the re-up originally started as an underground mixtape idea, but turned into an exposure idea for his artists on his label, but also said, quote, But what happened is that the material was so good, and the tracks were getting produced like a regular album. Instead of putting it out there rough and unfinished, I thought, we should add some other new tracks, make it a real album, and put it in the record stores to give these new artists a real boost. The album went on to sell over 2 million copies worldwide and went platinum in the US, where it sold 300,000 copies in just its first week. One particular track from the re-up was titled Trapped, which was performed by Proof, but included a message to Proof by Eminem at the beginning that read, Big Proof, rest in peace, we love you, we just want to keep making you proud. From this point on, as the remaining members of D12 were tired of living in Eminem's shadow, despite managing some minor success of their own with their own solo albums, they decided that they would be taking more control of D12 and asked Eminem to take a step back from the lead role, with Eminem basically deciding to remove himself for some time from the group. With the death of Proof, rapper Cannabis would emerge once again, attempting to reignite his feud with Eminem by mentioning the death of Proof in vain in the track Airstrike Pop Killer, featuring DZK. The track would sample D12's raps from recordings they had done with DZK when they weren't aware, as he was associated with Cannabis and in a complete low blow, DZK and Cannabis attempted to persuade the listener that they had joined forces. 
The track would diss Eminem and Proof and was a disgusting act so soon after the death of a beloved member of the rap community and especially of Detroit. Swift of D12 would speak out publicly, shaming both DZK and Cannabis and saying, quote, DZK asked us to do a track with him when he already was teamed up with Cannabis without us knowing. They dissed M, took our verses and added them to the song so they can bring traffic and make it seem like we're turning on M as a desperate attempt to be heard after ducking and dodging M for seven years. It was a straight hoe move. After the death of Proof, Eminem spiralled out of control both mentally and with his prescription drug-taking habits. Eminem would again decide to distance himself from the music industry completely, and ultimately, this would cause his label Shady Records to start going downhill. Eminem blamed himself for Proof's death, as he wondered if he had have been there, if he could have saved him and stopped the whole incident, then maybe things could have been different. The what-ifs and maybes kept flowing through Eminem's head, as he would enter into a very dark place, describing it as the darkest place he had ever been in his life, with his depression and anxiety at an all-time low. He was self-loathing and hating on himself for who he had become, and he attempted to pull himself out and try and move on numerous times, but to no avail, as proof was like a brother to him, and he felt like he owed him so much for his career and for saving his life. He hated that they were beefing towards the end and that he didn't really spend much time with him before Proof's death. Eminem even claimed that when Proof died, it was as if his world was coming to an end. Eminem was quoted as saying, Everyone felt Proof's loss, from his kids to his wife, to everyone. But for some reason, in hindsight, the way I felt was almost like it happened to just me. Maybe at the time I was a little bit selfish with it, I think it kind of hit me so hard. It just blindsided me. I just went into such a dark place that with everything, the drugs, my thoughts, everything, and the more drugs I consumed, and it was all depressants I was taking, the more depressed I became, the more self-loathing I became. On top of this, Eminem had stated that he was in a three-year period of severe writer's block and described that what he had been writing at the time was pure garbage and not up to the standard he had once produced. Not helping the cause was the fact that Eminem was popping a very large amount of sleeping pills and basically anything that he could get his hands on. Eminem was having extreme nightmares, especially about proof, and eventually built up a tolerance to Valium and Vicodin, so eventually he started using more Ambien, and got to the point where he even built a tolerance to that. So he started taking more and more, and kept feeling like he needed whatever was stronger, and a quick fix to help him sleep, with his busy schedule, and the stresses of Proof's death, and everyday life. These pills, however, were mood suppressants, or downers, therefore bringing on heightened depression, compounded with Proof's death, his recent divorce for the second time, and all sorts of everyday issues, and it meant a recipe for disaster. Eminem described his attitude as, quote, fuck it, might as well take more. That's when Eminem started going to the extreme and began taking methadone, and he later confessed that he was taking things that he even had no idea what they even were. He described himself at this time as no fun to be around, 
very moody and would often be sitting at home alone in the dark or in his room, away from everyone else. While Eminem also claimed that there was a period around this time where he stayed up for 24 hours a day for three weeks, just watching TV with no sleep, he simply wasn't coping well at all, and it was all pointing to one sad ending if he wasn't able to snap out of it very soon. As Eminem was away from the music industry during September 2007, Eminem called up the New York-based radio station WQHT while 50 Cent was on the show during an interview and stated live on air, quote, I'm always working, I'm always in the studio, it feels good right now, the energy of the label. For a while I didn't want to go back to the studio, I went through some personal things, I'm coming out of those personal things and it feels good. Despite sounding optimistic on the radio and seemingly getting better, during December 2007, Eminem pushed his drug-taking habits way too far when he overdosed on methadone, almost killing himself in the process. Eminem had been taking the drug for a relatively short period of time when he collapsed in his bathroom in his Michigan home. Eminem was rushed to the hospital with doctors stating that if they had brought him in two hours later, he would have been dead for sure, and that the amount of methadone that he had taken was equivalent to four bags of heroin. While on the way to hospital, Eminem's vital organs had started to shut down, including his kidneys and liver, that were on the verge of failure, and they thought they would have to place him on dialysis. Eminem claimed afterwards that he had purchased the methadone from a drug dealer who had told him that the methadone was just like taking Vicodin and easier on your liver. Eminem, however, would make a miraculous recovery despite doctors writing him off and expecting him not to make it. He would be required to regain all his motor skills once again as well as his communication skills. Due to his overdose, Eminem was forced to miss Christmas Day with Haley and the kids as he was still recovering in hospital and he hated being in there. So a few days after Christmas, Eminem decided to check himself out of hospital against the doctor's orders and he was still not fully detoxed and was still quite physically weak. Eminem made his own way home and fell asleep on the couch, only to fall off during his sleep as he was extremely dazed and weak and managed to tear the meniscus in his knee, which would then restrict his movement in his knee and place him in a lot of pain. Eminem was then required to have surgery on his knee, once again landing himself back in hospital. When Eminem returned home from hospital for the second time, he suffered a seizure for the first time since he was knocked unconscious by his bully D'Angelo Bailey in high school. After recovering from the seizure, he returned to a detox program briefly, but into early 2008, Eminem fell into depression once again and returned to using drugs, including Vicodin, which was just a week after detoxing. With Eminem returning to his drug-taking habits, he stated that they had ramped up to the same extent as when he had overdosed. Eminem went to rehab for a further two weeks for a detox program, but he failed to stay off the drugs. Eminem claimed that he knew that he would just relapse again once he got out, and that he needed much longer in rehab. It was a constant battle, and Eminem would continue to relapse until the right help came along. 
At this time, Eminem remembers walking back into the house after returning from rehab and thinking, I'm going to die, before looking at his kids and saying, quote, I need to be here for this. Eminem even claimed that if he didn't start taking pills, he would have most likely become a full-blown alcoholic with his addictive nature. By April 20th, 2008, Eminem managed to finally get clean through the help of Sir Elton John after Eminem decided to make the call to him. Elton John had been there in the past to support many musicians battling addiction and as a mentor for so many, such as British musician Robbie Williams. Elton felt he could also relate to Eminem as he too had a similar background in regards to his family and also drug addiction. Elton John would prove to be instrumental in helping Eminem get back on track and would call Eminem at least once a week to check in on him and persuaded Eminem to re-enter rehab and this time to complete a rehab program. This time around, after Elton's advice, Eminem would take a rehab program seriously for the very first time. Eminem was even persuaded by Elton John to start attending church to find some hope in life but soon decided to give this up as people kept asking him for autographs. He continued taking 12-step program lessons, seeing a rehab counsellor and began exercising to clear his mind. Having an addictive nature, Eminem soon became addicted to exercise and especially jogging. He said he started off running once a day in the morning and then increased this to twice a day and soon enough was running for 17 miles a day. When speaking in 2015 to Men's Journal, Eminem stated, quote, When I got out of rehab, I needed to lose weight, but I also needed to figure out a way to function sober. Unless I was blitzed out of my mind, I had trouble sleeping, so I started running. It gave me a natural endorphin high, but it also helped me sleep, so it was perfect. It's easy to understand how people replace addiction with exercise. One addiction for another, but one that's good for them. Eminem's jogging addiction was like a new vice without the drugs, and what was seemingly a healthy alternative soon turned negative and became too much for his body to handle, and started to take up too much of his time. To quell this addiction, Eminem would also take up lifting weights and his childhood pastime of collecting superhero comics once again stating that he doesn't know why he ever stopped, as it was a good distraction for remaining sober. And later in 2009, he would have his very own edition of a comic dedicated to him in the Punisher comic magazine, as he is seen fending off villains with a chainsaw and wielding a handgun alongside the Punisher, all while dressed in his usual casual red hoodie, realising his childhood dream of being a comic book superhero. Eminem also stated that one of the most important parts of his recovery was taking up boxing lessons in his garage, where he trained first with Emmanuel Stewart for a year and a year with Oval McKenzie, two former successful boxers. Eminem would continue to jog for fitness, but has managed to cut it back significantly, balancing it out with these other hobbies. Boxing had been a passion of Eminem since his childhood and he hardly ever missed a fight in his adult years, being a true enthusiast for the sport and being a huge fan of Mike Tyson. Boxing helped Eminem in his early years when he was getting bullied and the Rocky films and the Eye of the Tiger theme song were a big influence on him. 
He said that when he was on drugs, he attempted to beat it himself without any help, but struggled because of the stigma around it in the rap game, and was worried about speaking up and admitting that he had a problem and needed help. Eminem also admitted that after his addiction problems and overdose, he got a better understanding of what his mother went through in life, and he admitted that while she put him through a lot in life, and he was very angry at her for this, that he does love her. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi everyone, and sorry to interrupt. I hope you're enjoying this episode, but I just wanted to take this opportunity to tell you four ways on how you can support the podcast and play your part in keeping it going so I can continue to bring you more great episodes. If you enjoy Lyrics of Their Life podcast, first of all, it would be greatly appreciated if you could subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. It's totally free to do. It just means that you will receive a notification when a new episode of the podcast becomes available. Secondly, you can leave the podcast a positive five-star review on iTunes as this helps the podcast reach a larger audience. Third of all, you can tell your friends all about the podcast or join us on our social media pages at Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. While finally, you can take your support one step further and head to our Patreon page and pledge your support to one of two of our plans for just $1 or $5 per month with no locking contract. Or you can pledge just a one-off payment for all the hard work that goes into creating the podcast. And you will receive a number of extra benefits to go with your donation. Or you can even buy me a beer for $5 at buymeacoffee.com forward slash lyrics of life pod. I am a totally independent podcast creator, meaning there are no large networks or businesses financially supporting my work. So your support would be greatly appreciated as it means I can continue creating more content such as biographies, the weekly muse, interviews and more as it takes a lot of time, resources and research to prepare and upload just one single episode. Links to Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee can be found in the show notes on our website at lyricsoftheirlife.com or on our Facebook page. Once again, I appreciate every one of my listeners for their support, no matter the form it comes in. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the episode. What is most pleasing to see is that Eminem to this very day has not relapsed or touched drugs ever again. During Eminem's recovery from his overdose, he found that his three-year-long writer's block had finally passed, and he felt that his ability to write quality songs had also returned, as he began writing songs for a new album that would be titled Relapse. During September 2008, Eminem announced on his Shade 45 program on Sirius XM Radio that, quote, Right now, I'm kinda just concentrating on my own stuff and just banging out tracks and producing a lot of stuff. You know, the more I keep producing, the better it seems, because I just start knowing stuff. Interscope Records would announce soon after this that the new album would be titled Relapse and would be coming very soon. During December 2008, Eminem spoke out publicly once again and said, quote, Me and Dre are back in the lab like the old days, man. Dre will end up producing the majority of the tracks on Relapse. We are up to our old mischievous ways, let's just leave it at that. 
Eminem fans just couldn't wait to see what the refreshed Eminem had in store for them, with Interscope Records announcing that they would expect the album to drop in spring 2009. In 2008, Debbie Mathers released a book called My Son Marshall, My Son Eminem, where she got the chance to tell her side of the story and stated to MTV in relation to cleaning out my closet and other matters, quote, At first I went along with it for Marshall's sake. If I made one mistake as a mother, it was giving in to my eldest son's every whim. Debbie then made a reference to some of the relatives who often commented that as a mother and son, they were so close as if the umbilical cord had never been cut. Debbie continued as she was quoted as saying, He never knew his father, and I did all I could to make up for it. I wasn't happy when he made up a whole new life for himself. What mother wants to be known as a pill-popping alcoholic who lives on welfare? To tell the truth, I was heartbroken. The lies started coming thick and fast, and not just from Marshall. I think he's forgotten the good times we had, and this book is my way of setting the record straight. Also in 2008, an autobiography book featuring Eminem's memoirs was released to the public called The Way I Am, and was published by Dud and Adult. Basically, it details his life so far, with all the highs and lows in between, as well as lyric sheets, diary entries, and photographs. 2008 would prove to be a busy year for Eminem, who would face charges of up to $25,000 in damages from a man named Miab Jabu, who claimed that Eminem had punched him in the face in a bathroom of an 8-mile strip club. Despite these claims, it's unsure what actually came of the case, with it likely being settled outside of court. During June 2008, Obi Trice was let go from Shady Records over a misunderstanding where he was thought to have dissed Eminem and D12 in one of his songs, titled Giant. They managed to patch up their relationship, but they still went their separate ways, with Obi Trice later revealing his issue was more so with Jimmy Iovine of Interscope Records, and was mostly on Obi's part himself for not being committed enough. Following Obi Trice's departure, Stat Quo was also let go of over creative and promotional differences with Eminem, claiming he lacked the sufficient support on his latest album. In 2009, Bobby Creekwater would become the third member to leave Shady Records in less than six months. On the 2nd of February 2009, Eminem made his long-awaited return to the rap game by releasing his lead-up single to his upcoming album Relapse, with the song titled Crack a Bottle featuring Dr. Dre and 50 Cent. An unfinished version of the song and others from the upcoming album had been leaked early, however, with Eminem being quoted as saying, It's like someone catches you peeping in your window before you got the Spider-Man costume all zipped up. Nobody is supposed to see that. We are going to finish it up, though, and get it out there, how it's supposed to be. Despite the leak angering Eminem, Cracker Bottle became a number one hit for him in the US on the Billboard Hot 100, returning to the top spot for the first time in two years as a solo artist. Along with this, he reached the top spot in Canada on the Hot 100 and the UK R&B chart, and four on their mainstream chart. The song would later go on to fetch a Grammy Award for Best Rap Performance by a Duo or a Group, and it went two times platinum in the US. 
On the 7th of April 2009, Eminem returned to his comical hip-hop style with the hilarious and fresh track, We Made You, as his second single. We Made You managed to go to number one in Australia, New Zealand, Ireland and Scotland and was a huge hit in Australia, receiving mass airplay and going platinum. But it wasn't as popular in the US, with the song debuting at number nine, which, believe it or not, was actually Eminem's best debut charting position on the Hot 100 in Eminem's career to date. But, despite also managing to go platinum, it wouldn't go any higher than number 9. The problem was, times had changed and people thought Eminem had gone too far once again through his typical slandering of celebrities in both the song and the music video. Eminem would call out a range of stars, including Kim Kardashian, Jessica Alba, Jessica Simpson, Ellen DeGeneres, Elvis Presley, Amy Winehouse, Lindsay Lohan, John Mayer, and the most controversial at the time, politician Sarah Palin. When speaking with MTV, Eminem jokingly remarked, quote, I want to say it's not necessarily intentional bashing in it. It's not necessarily taking deliberate shots at people. Yes, it is. What the fuck am I talking about? It was often suggested that the female vocalist in the song was Jessica Simpson, as Eminem suggests, as he says Jessica, sing the chorus, but it was in fact voiced by soul singer Charmaine Tripp. Eminem showed his arrogance and often brutal side in the song, however, when he called out Jessica Simpson in the film clip for her weight gain at the time, but believes the only reason he held back was due to her husband being a football player for his favourite NFL team, the Dallas Cowboys, when he was quoted as saying, I've always wanted people to be able to look back at each video and go, oh, remember what was going on at that moment? That's when Jessica Simpson got fat. Even if she gets thin again, that's fine. But for that moment in time, she was fat. But then I started thinking, I don't want to piss Tony Romo off, and he starts throwing games for the Cowboys. Eminem wrote We Made You to highlight that celebrities are no better than any of their fans and shouldn't be put on a pedestal. Eminem himself had always struggled with being admired by his fans and he thinks it shouldn't be such a big deal as they have always just been normal people. He also depicts how many celebrities take their fans for granted and don't appreciate that they only made it through the love and admiration of the fans. Which is backed up in the lines in the chorus where Eminem has the female vocalist sing from the perspective of both Eminem and the starstruck fan with the line that reads... When you walked through the door, it was clear to me, you're the one they adore, who they came to see. You're a rock star. Everybody wants you. Player, who can really blame you? We're the ones who made you. The crazy music video for We Made You makes many references to pop culture at the time, as Eminem depicts a slightly overweight Jessica Simpson as she hoes down on some burgers while dancing in front of the Dukes of Hazard car before he takes the mickey out of Kim Kardashian for her large behind, he is seen getting sexually acquainted with Sarah Palin. He portrays a Star Trek character, is seen rapping with the popular Guitar Hero video game in the background, as well as a reference to the Transformers film. He goes on a rampage, mocking Poison's Brett Michaels, Kevin Federline, Vanilla Ice, and those mentioned earlier. 
The music video has been viewed around 224 million times on YouTube and won the award for Best Hip Hop Video at the MTV Music Video Awards. While many of the celebrities mentioned weren't too happy with being spoken about in such light, Kim Kardashian didn't mind, however, when she was quoted as saying, I'm such an Eminem fan. I got an email from my friend. She's like, girl, you made it. Eminem is rapping about you. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. I got it easy, and I'm okay with that. Eminem would later claim that he somewhat regretted We Made You being a lead single, as he felt it was the only track that didn't quite fit with the rest of the album, although he really enjoyed the beat of the song. He was also quoted as saying, but am I going to go in that direction again? Probably not. While Rolling Stone magazine and other critics gave the song generally positive reviews, others weren't so kind to Eminem's new music, and ultimately We Made You would set the rest of the album up for disaster. The track 3AM was released next during April 2009 and failed to crack the top 20 anywhere around the world. The song 3AM would delve into Eminem's interest in serial killers, where he raps from the perspective of a serial killer who is questioning their own sanity and reliving a number of murders they have committed after breaking free from a rehab clinic and coming to after committing these murders at around 3am in the morning, suggesting he has been possessed as that is the witching hour. During the song, he references one of his favourite horror movies in The Silence of the Lambs with the line, she puts the lotion in the bucket, she puts the lotion on her skin, or else she'll get the hose again. The song is extremely dark and would run with the theme of serial killers and horror on the Relapse album. Despite being a flop on the charts, perhaps mostly due to the harsh content in the song, it received positive reviews from critics and the fans loved the track, stating to this day that it was one of the best on the album and the gory music video was also highly rated amongst critics. When Eminem was asked about how he wrote the song, he said, quote, To write 3AM, I had to go into the mindset of a serial killer. Was it easy? It was easy for me. In that song, I relapse in a rehab facility or something like it. I just black out and fucking kill everybody. I was trying to create a triple entendre with the album title, relapsing literally, going back to the old days, just blacking the fuck out and killing everyone. I wanted to paint a picture for the listener to make them feel like they are in the story and part of it as each line progresses. On the 15th of May 2009, Eminem would release his sixth studio album, titled Relapse. D12 were also set to release their third studio album without Eminem on it, but it was instead shelved by Interscope Records as they wanted Eminem's to come out first. The album Relapse would go to number one in a total of 13 countries, including Australia, the US and the UK, and finished inside the top five in a further nine countries. Despite sales being strong initially, it slowed down significantly over time and would become Eminem's worst-selling studio album of his career up to this point with just 4.5 million records being sold worldwide and was partly due to the rise of streaming services like Spotify. It was also regarded as Eminem's weakest album in regards to material up until this point. 
While certain songs were held in high regard amongst fans and critics, the album as a whole was panned by critics, fans, and self-admittingly, Eminem himself. The title of the album, being Relapse, depicted Eminem's struggles with addiction, including his latest troubles, but it was the album cover that further backed this, with an image of Eminem's bust, or face, assorted into shape using a range of pills. While a prescription-type label is utilised to display the album name, Eminem's former address at 8 Mile can also be seen, with the doctor prescribing the medication being Dr Dre, the album's producer, and the date the album was released is utilised as the refill date for the prescription. Eminem recorded much of the album in his newly purchased Effigy studio in Ferndale, Michigan, after parting ways with the Bass Brothers and his partnership with 54 Sound Recording Studio back in 2007. Eminem stated that the themes behind the album included his past drug-related issues, but also his interest in the story of serial killers and those in horror movies such as Hannibal Lecter and Freddy Krueger. Eminem explained that he had really gotten into documentaries, movies and TV shows relating to serial killers and that he was fascinated by their mindsets by stating, quote, Serial killers and their psyche and their mind states. You listen to these people talk or you see them. They look so regular. What does a serial killer look like? He don't look like anything. He looks like you. You could be living next door to one. If I live next door to you, you could be. I did find myself watching a lot of documentaries on serial killers. I mean, I always had a thing for them. Oh, that's not twisted in itself at all, right? I've always been intrigued by them and watching movies like that. And I found that going back through my DVD collection and watching movies about killers sparked something in me. The way a serial killer's mind works, just the psychology of them, is pretty fucking crazy. I was definitely inspired by that, but most of that imagery came from my own mind. I did everything I could to relapse into the old me. When you relapse, you go into your old ways harder than before. The album overall has quite a different sound to it compared to his previous work, with Dr. Dre developing a new fresh sound, including a noticeable piano melody in many of the tracks coming into play. Eminem would later admit, while it wasn't his best album, it was still a stepping stone in the right direction for Eminem and his recovery process. He claimed that the album was a great therapy session for him to deal with his addiction, and it helped him laugh his demons off. Eminem's slim shady persona made quite a few appearances on the album, and while it was clear to see that Eminem was headed in a different direction, He just needed to get the silly side out of his system first. Despite being unfavourable, it still somehow managed to win a Grammy Award for Best Rap Album. Eminem would come under fire, however, for being over the top with his accents, as he was quoted as saying, I recorded at least 50 to 60 songs for that album, and on each one, I would get a little more drastic with the accents trying to bend the words and make them rhyme in ways they wouldn't if you just said them regularly. It was this gradual thing, and I didn't even realise how accent-heavy the album got. Paul Rosenberg didn't realise it either, until he went and played the music for somebody at Interscope Records, and they were like, why is he doing all those accents? So yeah, 
I don't know how much replay value that album has. I have made albums that definitely probably would not be at the top of my list, Encore, Relapse, which I believe Encore is a better album than Relapse. Relapse is something I went back to and cringed at. Like, Jesus Christ, I didn't realise I was doing that many accents. The album Relapse opened with the song Dr. West, where Eminem meets with his doctor just before leaving rehab. Eminem speaks to his doctor, saying he's nervous to go back out into the real world, but is hopeful if he follows the steps that he'll be okay. His doctor then takes an unexpected turn and tempts him with alcohol and pills. As he begins talking in a demonic type voice, and Eminem begins yelling no before being trapped in a nightmare as the album flows on from this theme. The track 3AM, about serial killers, follows this skit before the third track is heard, titled My Mum. Once again, Eminem refers to his mother Debbie's problems with addiction and drugs and believes her problems influenced him. Eminem refers to Debbie putting drugs in his food when he was younger and tricked him into taking Valium, which Eminem believes in turn made him feel ill in relation to Debbie's alleged Munchausen syndrome. As Eminem raps the lines, Valium was in everything, food that I ate, the water that I drank, Fucking peas on my plate. She sprinkled just enough of it to season my steak. So every day, I'd have at least three stomach aches. Eminem then jumps into the chorus, where he raps in a childish voice, the line, My mum loved Valium and lots of drugs. That's why I am like I am, cause I'm like her. Because my mum loved Valium and lots of drugs. That's why I'm on what I'm on, cause I'm my mum. The track Insane sees Eminem rap in a dark humour approach about how his abusive stepfather, who he claims tried to molest him. The insane thing about the song, however, is that Eminem claimed he made most of it up when he was quoted as saying, It's pretty much all fiction. It's a perfect example of a rhyme gone bad. Eminem, in fact, wanted to relay what it was like growing up without a father to protect him from potential dangers. And while he of course had many stepfathers, he maintains that it never occurred. Although with him saying it pretty much is all fiction, it suggests that perhaps there was something from his past that triggered Eminem to write this song. In the track Bagpipes from Baghdad, Eminem targets his apparent fling, Mariah Carey, and her partner Nick Cannon. In retaliation to the song, Mariah Carey would release a track called Obsessed about Eminem's continual pursuit of her. Nick Cannon took offence to the track and took to his blog to criticise the song, suggesting it sounded like a rehashed bag quality track and that he found his lyrics to be racist and disgusting. Eminem later spoke more maturely about the song and seemed to regret some of the lyrics that he included in the song even respecting Nick's decision to defend his wife. Eminem was quoted as saying, I kinda spazzed out on that record, but I guess I spazzed out on every record. I heard about some of the things he was saying, I didn't read his blog or anything, but it is what it is. He's supposed to defend his wife, and I expected him to do that. But at the end of the day, it's a line I said, it's a song. What I actually meant to say is, I wish them the best. That's what I meant to say. That's the whole message of the record. 
Despite this, Nick Cannon and Eminem's feud would spark up again later in 2019. The tracks Tonya and Same Song and Dance both go together as Eminem refers to the album's serial killer theme and raps about being a man who kidnaps a woman after offering her a ride that then goes on to sexually assault and murder her. This song caused quite the controversy with the themes being extremely confronting and raising concerns that this was something that Eminem secretly wanted to do but instead used his slim shady character to put it into a song and deflect from himself. But despite this, Eminem wanted to portray the pressures of fame and the many stories of celebrities, from Britney Spears to Charlie Sheen, all being consumed by fame and the media that follow them, and therefore leading a troubled life of drugs, alcohol and mental health battles due to the pressures they are placed under. He attempts to resemble all of this metaphorically, as show business destroys, or in this song's case rapes, and murders the celebrity, dragging them through the mud with all sorts of scandals. Eminem doesn't hold back on this album, even mocking the paralysed and late actor Christopher Reeve, known for portraying Superman, in the track Medicine Ball, as well as his dependency on sleep medication. The rest of the album is quite grim and not his best work, but one song in particular that is a hidden gem on the album is titled Deja Vu, where Eminem details his drug abuse and overdose and puts the listener in his mindset at the time as he felt so lonely and hopeless and felt like although he wanted to stop his drug taking habits, he just couldn't beat it and kept on relapsing. As Eminem raps the lines, As I fall deeper into a manic state, I'm a prime candidate for the gene to receive the drug addict trait. Blood pressure climbs at a dramatic rate. I seem to gravitate to the bottle of NyQuil, then I salivate. Start off with the NyQuil, like, I think I'll just have a taste. Couple of sips of that, then I gradually graduate. To a harder prescription drug called Valium, like, yeah, that's great. I go to just take one, and I end up like having eight. Now I need something in my stomach, cause I haven't ate. Maybe I'll grab a plate of nachos, and I'll have a steak. And you'd think that with all I have at stake, look at my daughter's face. Mummy, something isn't right with dad I think. He's acting weird again. He's really beginning to scare me. Won't shave his beard again, and he pretends he doesn't hear me. And all he does is eat Doritos and Cheetos, and he just fell asleep in his car, eating three musketeers in the rear seat. Sometimes I feel so alone, I just don't know. Feels like I've been down this road before, so lonely and cold. It's like something takes over me as soon as I go home and close the door. Kinda feels like deja vu. I want to get away from this place. I do. But I can't, and I won't. Say I try, but I know that's a lie. Cause I don't and why, I just don't know. The last song to get a mention from the Relapse album, titled Beautiful, is arguably the best track, according to Eminem fans, Eminem himself, and my own personal opinion. Beautiful is exactly that. When the rest of the album is so grim and dark, this track redeems the album and shows a light at the end of the tunnel that a new beginning is perhaps blossoming for Eminem. While Eminem raps once again about his struggles with addiction, it is performed in a style that is much different to the other songs on the album and has a great melodic beat that makes the listener connect on a much deeper level compared to other songs from the album. 
Eminem also speaks about how low and depressed he got, where he thought about walking away from the rap game altogether, and then reminds himself his life is worth fighting for, and shows optimism when he raps the line, but don't let them say you ain't beautiful. They can all get fucked. Just stay true to you. Eminem also asks those who have judged his decisions in the past to think about trading places and see how they would do in his shoes. He continues by highlighting how depression has sadly started to soak up his humorous side and how everything has become so serious, dark and tense and how others still find him funny but it's all a mask to hide what he feels inside as he wraps the line from another person's perspective by saying... Marshall, you're so funny, man. You should be a comedian. God damn. And then Eminem raps the line. Unfortunately, I am, but I just hide behind the tears of a clown. Despite only cracking the top 20 in the US, it would go three times platinum and was deservingly nominated for a Grammy for Best Solo Rap Performance, but lost out to Jay-Z's song, DOA. When speaking about the song Beautiful... Eminem claimed it was his favourite from the album, and was quoted as saying, There's only one song on that record that I produced. It's a track called Beautiful, and one of the only reasons that I put the track on there is that I feel like it's the best song out of that batch that I did when I wasn't sober. At the time, I felt like, this is it for me. I wrote the first verse and a half in rehab, and when I came out, I finished it. It was the only song that marks that period without bringing me back to that place. Every other track not only didn't fit with the album, but when I listened to it, it would bring up bad memories. On the Sunday of May 31st, 2009, Eminem attended the 18th Annual MTV Movie Awards in California to promote his singles Cracker Bottle and We Made You, as he also performed the two tracks on the night. But one of the most memorable moments from the award show that evening was seeing actor Sasha Baron Cohen as his character from Bruno flying through the air towards the stage wearing angel wings and a bottomless pair of pants or a g-string only to land right into Eminem's lap face down with his bottom directly in Eminem's face. The crowd and those watching at home appeared shocked as Eminem appeared furious before storming off with his D12 buddies. It wasn't revealed until days later that the skit had been staged with Eminem being in on the joke. Once again, putting rumours that Eminem was homophobic to bed. Eminem managed to keep a straight face the whole time, but Eminem told Rolling Stone magazine, quote, I went back to my hotel and laughed uncontrollably for about three hours, especially after I saw it on air. Eminem also revealed that Sasha sourced him out for the gag by stating, quote, Sasha called me when we were in Europe and he had an idea to do something outrageous at the movie awards. I'm a big fan of his work, so I agreed to get involved with the gag. Eminem loved the fact that people took it so literally and also revealed that they even rehearsed it before the award show. Sasha Baron Cohen even said they rehearsed for D12 to whack him and push him as hard as they could as he was at a perfect height to be pushed around on a rope pulley system. But on the actual award night, he had been lowered too far and actually whacked his head a number of times on the seat in front of him. 
Just a month or two later, Eminem appeared in a cameo appearance in the film Funny People, as he is seen speaking with actor Adam Sandler before calling out Ray Romano. Once again, Eminem displayed his ability to not take himself too seriously, and with drugs now behind him, he would begin to accept more light-hearted roles, including a segment on the Jimmy Kimmel show, where he attempted to teach Jimmy how to rap. On the 21st of December 2009, Eminem released an extended version of the Relapse album, titled Relapse Refill. Included on this album was a monster collaboration between Eminem, Lil Wayne, Drake and Kanye West called Forever. But Eminem was by far the standout and his collaborators all agreed that his verse was by far the best. It went on to be a top 10 hit across a number of US charts and would eventually go six times platinum. Eminem would appear as a surprise guest on Drake's tour around this time where Drake labelled Eminem, quote, the greatest rapper to ever get on the motherfucking microphone. Despite the once unfavourable remarks about Relapse, it is now referred to as a classic Eminem album and has aged well over time. Eminem planned on releasing a second Relapse album, titled Relapse 2 in late 2009, stating, quote, I want to deliver more material for the fans this year, like I originally planned. Hopefully these tracks on the refill will tide the fans over until we put out Relapse 2 next year. But Eminem then decided that the material he had produced for the second album deserved its very own title and saw him take a different direction anyhow. As he tweeted to his fans, there is no Relapse 2. As Eminem didn't want the lack of success from Relapse to hinder the second album's chances. Eminem would later announce that Relapse 2 would instead be called Recovery, as it suited the direction Eminem was headed in perfectly. In the lead up to Eminem's new album Recovery, Eminem released arguably one of his greatest songs of his career with the track Not Afraid. Not Afraid would reach number one in the US and Canada, becoming only his third number one in the US on the Hot 100 up to this point and it would reach the top five in 13 other countries, including the UK and Australia, going five times platinum in Australia and diamond in the United States, and went on to win seven awards, including a Grammy for Best Rap Solo Performance. In one of Eminem's greatest lyrical tirades yet, he raps about his comeback to the music industry, and how he feels like everything he has endured up until this point has got him to where he is now, and that he is now stronger for that, and no longer fearful of what's in front of him, as long as he has his fans' support backing him up. The song is incredibly inspirational and brutally honest on Eminem's part, and shows a vulnerable side to Eminem that haven't really been explored too often, other than in songs about his daughters. Eminem speaks of both his failures and successes, and also refers to relapse being a bit of a regret of his, as he raps the line, and to the fans, I'll never let you down again, I'm back, I promise to never go back on that promise, in fact, let's be honest, that last relapse CD was uh. Then Eminem refers to how he was criticised for his many accents on the album, by rapping the line, Perhaps I ran them accents into the ground. Relax, I ain't going back to that now. Eminem then speaks about how depression and temptation with addiction still follows him, but he no longer fears that he will give in like he once had. 
In relation to Eminem dissing his own album, Relapse, he was quoted as saying, I don't hate Relapse, I don't hate it at all. But when I'm looking back at an album, I do have a tendency, and especially with that album, to run things into the ground. That was one of those instances where I got in a zone, like, yo, I just want to be this demented serial killer on this album. And part of that was a growing process to get to recovery. Working through those steps, relearning how to rap, and relearning where I need to be at. So I don't know if that record was particularly my best work as far as songs. Writing songs that felt like something, that brought some kind of emotion. I ran accents into the ground. I got stuck on that kind of serial killer crazy vibe and just kind of went with it. Eminem also spoke about how he changed his mindset for the recovery album by saying, I know a lot of stuff on Relapse was comical and funny punchline jokes, but a lot of the songs didn't really feel like anything. I had to go back and listen to some of my older music to try and figure out what I was doing wrong. Once I felt like I figured that out, I started making songs that felt like something again. The chorus in Not Afraid is perhaps one of the most inspirational, catchy and intelligent lyrics of his career as he raps the line... I'm not afraid to take a stand. Everybody, come take my hand. We'll walk this road together, through the storm, whatever weather, cold or warm. Just letting you know that you're not alone. Holler if you feel like you've been down the same road. The music video for the track has now surpassed 1.5 billion views on YouTube and sees Eminem standing on top of skyscrapers in New Jersey before flying around the city like a superhero. The recovery tour would be his first one of his career completely sober and Eminem's life was finally looking on the up. The album overall had a different tone to it and had a sense of hope and optimism. Eminem would ditch the highly criticised and perhaps overused voices that he utilised on the Relapse album, and for the first time, Eminem was taking his music and his life much more seriously. He even started to appreciate his fans more, and due to drugs being absent from his life, his judgement improved dramatically, making him an all-round better person to be around. As he was quoted as saying, "'Whatever I can be to people is fine,' Some people may look up to me, some people may consider me a fucking menace, but I'm grateful for every fan letter I get, and for every person who says I help save them. I don't know man, I feel like I took a lot of time off, not doing shit for those four or five years. How lazy I got. It's time to get back to doing what I love. I feel like I've got a lot of gas in the tank. I just want to make up for letting people down. On the 18th of June 2010, Eminem released his 7th studio album, titled Recovery, which would of course see Eminem return to the top of his game. Recovery went to number 1 in 11 countries, including Australia, New Zealand, the UK and the US on the mainstream charts, while it also made the top 5 in a further 7 countries. Recovery in the US would spend a total of seven weeks at number one, with five of those being consecutive. To this day, the album has sold around 8.5 million copies to an estimated 10 million copies worldwide, including streams. Eminem marked many impressive milestones with this album, selling 741,000 copies in just its first week of release, beating ACDC's Black Ice, which held the record for most sales in a week. 
It would go on to win five awards, including the Grammy for Best Rap Album, with Eminem winning back-to-back Grammys for Best Rap Album for the second time in his career. Eminem's recovery album also marked Eminem's sixth straight number one album in the UK, overtaking Bon Jovi's record of five consecutive albums on the UK chart as an American musician, while Eminem also beat the UK's own Robbie Williams for most number one consecutive albums, with Robbie having five in a row. Recovery would also finish as the best-selling album of the year 2010, with around 3.4 million copies being snapped up in the US that year. Eminem stated that the album is dedicated to, quote, To anyone who's in a dark place trying to get out, keep your head up, it does get better. He also told Rolling Stone magazine that, quote, I try to stay recording, because if I don't, I get rusty. I'm very paranoid about writer's block. I had it for four years, and it drove me fucking crazy. No matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't think of shit. The pills had a lot to do with it, just wiping out brain cells. I don't know if it sounds like I'm making excuses, but the absolute truth is a lot of my memory is gone. I don't know if you've ever taken Ambien, but it's kind of a memory eraser. That shit wiped out five years of my life. People will tell me stories, and it's like, I did that? I saw myself doing things on TV network BET recently, and I was like, when was that? It fucking creeps me out. Letters all down the page. It was like my hand weighed 400 pounds. I have all that shit in a box in my closet, as a reminder that I don't ever want to go back. On the Anger Management 3 tour in 2005, I was fucked up every night. With the recovery album being the best-selling album of 2010, this would be the second time that Eminem had achieved this feat in his career since the Eminem show. Eminem also broke the record for most successive number one albums in the US by a solo artist, with this being his fifth in a row. From July 9th, 2010, all the way to August 25th, 2013, Eminem would slowly but surely perform 25 shows at stadiums and festivals across Australia, the US, New Zealand, the UK, Europe, Asia and Brazil. And while fans said it was great to have him back touring and drug free, many claimed he wasn't yet back to his best as a live performer. He toured with Lil Wayne, Slaughterhouse, Yellow Wolf and Kendrick Lamar. It's believed that the huge gaps in between shows and the reason he only performed 25 of them was due to Eminem wanting to be home with Hayley, Whitney and Elena and that he wasn't as interested in touring anymore as perhaps he was worried he was going to relapse again as touring often involved drugs back in the day to keep up with the busy schedule. With Eminem's lead single, Not Afraid, blowing people's minds, no one expected him to beat that track, but that's exactly what he did when during August 2010, he released the incredible, tragic, but touching track, Love The Way You Lie, featuring pop star Rihanna, which could arguably be one of the best or well-written tracks of the 20th century. Love The Way You Lie would go to number one on the mainstream chart in a massive 24 countries around the world, including the US, New Zealand and Australia, where it went 10 times platinum in Australia and 12 times platinum in the US. 
It would become Eminem's highest selling single and most streamed song of his career, with around 20 million copies being sold or streamed. It also finished in the top five in a further five countries, including the UK, where it was also a number one hit on their R&B chart. Dr. Dre would take the back seat on production for this track, with Alex DeKid taking over. The track spoke of Eminem's controversial and turbulent relationship over the years between himself and Kim Mathers, and how toxic it became. Eminem was determined to have Rihanna sing on the track and saw her as the perfect voice to bring his vision to life, with Eminem quoted as saying, It was one of those tracks that I felt like only she could pull it off. Only she could do it. Rihanna herself also commented on collaborating with Eminem, stating, quote, They reached out to us directly and they just said, We have this song and we just think that Rihanna would be perfect to sing it. And of course I was like, Okay, if I love it, I'll definitely do it because I love Eminem and I love the song. It's really beautiful and it really stands out. It's a really unique record. I'm really excited about it. Rihanna, who had also been through her fair share of toxic and domestic violent relationships, in particular with Chris Brown, said that she felt a familiar connection with Eminem that drew her to the song and stated, quote, It's something that, you know, Eminem and I have both experienced, on different sides, different ends of the table. It was just authentic, it was real, it was believable for us to do a record like that, but it was also something that needed to be done, and the way he did it was so clever. He pretty much just broke down the cycle of domestic violence, and it's something that a lot of people don't have a lot of insight on. So this song is a really, really powerful song, and it touches a lot of people. The powerful lyrics that Rihanna is referring to explore the pattern or cycle that those in toxic or abusive relationships fall into, which Eminem himself experienced multiple times with Kim. As Eminem raps the incredibly well-written lines, I can't tell you what it really is, I can only tell you what it feels like, and right now there's a steel knife in my windpipe. I can't breathe but I still fight, while I can fight, as long as the wrong feels right. It's like I'm in flight. High off of love, drunk from the hate. It's like I'm huffing paint, and I love her the more I suffer. I suffocate, and right before I'm about to drown, she resuscitates me. She fucking hates me, and I love it. Wait, where are you going? I'm leaving you. No, you ain't. Come back. We're running right back. Here we go again. Eminem perfectly portrays the anger and frustration of the lyrics with the tone of his voice he utilises, while Rihanna during the chorus perfectly captures the emotion, hurt and broken feeling of a person who has been abused to the point of no return and continues to love the person that causes the hurt despite knowing they are a liar and are no good for them. As her lines read, Just gonna stand there and watch me burn. Well that's alright, because I like the way it hurts. Just gonna stand there and hear me cry. Well, that's alright, because I love the way you lie. This chorus was actually written by musician Skylar Grey about her abusive relationship with the music industry and also about men she had dated in the past with Eminem thinking it fit his vision perfectly. This would begin a long-running working partnership between Eminem and Skylar. Skylar Grey was quoted as saying, when I wrote the chorus to Eminem's Love The Way You Lie, I was living alone in a cabin in the woods with my home studio. I was taking a step away from the industry in an effort to nurture my muses. 
which had been seriously damaged. I certainly wasn't attempting to write a hit song, but rather channeling what naturally came to me, with no expectations. It wasn't necessarily about literal violence in a relationship, but that vicious cycle of somebody who keeps you on your toes because they're kind of an asshole. I do tend to fall for assholes because they keep me on my toes and I don't get bored. That's what I wrote it about. As the song continues on, Eminem depicts the confusion his character feels within the relationship as the confusion drastically increases. As the character begins contradicting himself by attempting to follow what they know they are supposed to act like as a good partner, but they can't help but show their true abusive colours. As the narcissistic character attempts to manipulate their partner into staying in the relationship, or else, as he raps the lines, All I know is I love you too much to walk away now. Come inside, pick up your bags off the sidewalk. Don't you hear sincerity in my voice when I talk? Told you this is my fault. Look me in the eyeball. Next time I'm pissed, I'll aim my fist at the drywall. Next time, there'll be no next time. I apologise, even though I know it's lies. I'm tired of the games. I just want her back. I know I'm a liar. If she ever tries to fucking leave again, I'm a tire to the bed and set this house on fire. While the themes discussed in the song are very confronting, Love the Way You Lie was met with positive critical reviews and Eminem and Rihanna were applauded for bringing light to such a taboo topic that desperately needed the attention. Despite its success and the overall quality of the track, it missed out on winning a Grammy despite being nominated for five Grammys, with one of these nominations including Best Music Video, with their incredible music video ultimately helping the track catapult further up the charts and adding to the powerful nature of the lyrics. The music video now stands at 2.4 billion views on YouTube and is Eminem's most watched video on the platform. The music video was slightly more controversial and was met with mixed reviews due to the confronting scenes in the clip. The video sees actors Megan Fox and Dominic Monaghan known best for his role as Charlie in the series Lost. Fox being a huge fan of Eminem jumped at the opportunity as she portrayed the more innocent of the two characters while Dominic portrayed the abusive partner in the relationship. Joseph Kahn would direct the clip, with Eminem having a large influence on how the video would turn out. Directing his third music video for Eminem, Joseph Kahn stated, quote, We wanted to make a specific story about two people, Meg and Dom, not a video that was representative of all couples or all domestic violence situations. I'm not saying that all couples fight this way, I just want people just to be able to identify with the characters and recognise that they've seen relationships like this where two people are together that are completely wrong for each other and things spiral out of control. Megan was the key to this video. I'll tell you as a director, the reason why Fox and Monaghan's scenes in the video feel so real is because in the moment, they were real. Eminem and Rihanna also appear in the clip, adding to the dramatic scenes as they are seen standing in front of a burning house towards the end of the video. Actor Dominic Monaghan actually sustained a number of injuries on set, including injuring his left knee and his hand when he punched a mirror in the clip. Later that same year, Eminem and Rihanna recorded a sequel to the song, where Rihanna sings more from her perspective this time around. 
On the 5th of October 2010, Eminem would release his third single from the Recovery album, titled No Love, featuring Lil Wayne. No Love would be one of the best tracks from the Recovery album, despite struggling to chart within the top 20 on the mainstream charts around the world. It did, however, peak at number 7 on both the US and Australian R&B and urban charts, and went four times platinum in the US, with four million sales. No Love samples the beat from Hathaway's What Is Love, and utilises the line from the song that reads, You don't hurt me no more. In this angsty but inspiring song, Eminem speaks about the time he was bullied as a child and even the times he was mistreated in life as an adult in relation to his mother, Kim, and others he had crossed paths with in the rap game, with a similar theme to Not Afraid, where Eminem vows to never back down again. In No Love, Eminem addresses his haters and bullies, but it also appears as though he is speaking about his battle with prescription medication, as he appears to refer to the drugs as if he was talking to a person, but vows that they'll never bring him down again, and that he is, quote, I'm alive again, more alive than I have been in my whole entire life. In this line, Eminem appears like a new man after his relapse and recovery, and won't let his addiction problems beat him no more, as producer Just Blaze perfectly builds up the tension as the verse leads into the chorus for a spine-tingling arrangement, while Eminem's voice emanates emotion and pain, but hope for the future. As Eminem raps the inspiring lines, It's a little too late to say that you're sorry now. You kicked me when I was down, but what you say just don't hurt me. That's right, it don't hurt me. I don't need you no more. Don't want to see you no more. Bitch, you get no love. You showed me nothing but hate. You ran me into the ground. But what comes around, goes around. You don't hurt me. No more. Little Wayne would prove to balance out the song with Eminem perfectly, adding another dimension to the track, becoming the third time the two had collaborated. After Eminem and Lil Wayne both expressed they would love to work with each other, returning the favour on each other's albums. The pair collaborated on a brilliant song of Lil Wayne's titled Drop the World, which was released earlier that year in February and was also a successful hit in the US. No Love, Not Afraid and Love the Way You Lie were perfect examples of why this album was such a hit as they were relatable to so many around the world, and no doubt helped millions of people through their tough times. Which is exactly what Eminem planned to do, all while healing himself also. The recovery album would see Eminem ditch the short 30 second skits for the first time on an album, while he also toned down the Slim Shady persona to the point where he was hardly noticeable. Eminem had realised the flaws of the Relapse album, and with the Recovery album, he listened to what the fans wanted at the time, something that he admitted that he didn't do with Relapse. Eminem opens the Recovery album with a great track titled Cold Wind Blows, as Eminem announces his return to the rap game and that he is ready to take on all the haters. With Eminem stating, I definitely feel like I'm in a little different space right now. With the last record, it had a lot to do with me getting sober and just my eyes being open again and my brain went into overdrive. Eminem once again would refer to his so-called 2001 fling with Mariah Carey with the line, but take a look at Mariah the next time I inspire you to write a song. 
Eminem follows this track up with the equally as great track, Talking to Myself, as Eminem raps about his struggles around 2006 and his jealousy towards rappers Lil Wayne and Kanye West and how he almost wrote and released a spiteful diss track about the pair. As his head was clouded on drugs, he had severe writer's block and he felt lonely and pathetic about his own life at the time as he was spiralling out of control. As Eminem has singer Kobe sing the line, Is anybody out there? It feels like I'm talking to myself. No one seems to know my struggle and everything I come from. Can anybody hear me? I guess I'll keep talking to myself. It feels like I'm going insane. Am I the only one who's crazy? When speaking to Spin Magazine about whether or not to release a Lil Wayne and Kanye West diss track, Eminem was quoted as saying, I thought, man, I can do that shit. He ain't that dope. I'm hearing this dude say some clever witty shit and I'm not doing it. So I feel fucked up. It would have been career suicide. They would have fucking murdered me. This diss track that Eminem speaks of would remain unreleased to this very day. The album continues on with more themes of empowerment and refusing to give in, with the track Won't Back Down featuring Pink, who would also become another successful and long-running working relationship that Eminem had formed on this album, while the song On Fire runs with Eminem's interest in horror. All these songs, including the track Cinderella Man, went on to be certified platinum and gold and were popular amongst fans. One of the most underrated tracks on the whole album is Going Through Changes, as Eminem borrows elements from the Black Sabbath song Changes. Utilising Ozzy Osbourne's haunting vocals and the sad and eerie melodic beat from the song, Eminem provides a great rap about his crazy life so far, including his own depression, losing his best friend Proof, drug addiction, the effect this had on his family, and the negative effect fame had on him, causing him to spiral out of control, becoming a shell of the man he used to be, and leading him to overdosing. This would be the first time in one of Eminem's songs that he referenced his non-biological daughter Whitney, as he dedicates the song to his three daughters, while also attempting to tell them that he still loves their mother. As Eminem raps the lines, Haley, this one is for you. Whitney and Elena too. I still love your mother. That'll never change. Think about her every day. We just could never get it together. Hey, wish there was a better way for me to say it, but I swear on everything. I'd do anything for her on any day. There are just too many things to explain. In another song of self-reflection, titled 25 to Life, Eminem refers to his dedication to music, but how it has affected his relationships with women, while he is also quoted as saying, What the whole song is saying is that I have a strange relationship with hip-hop because I love it so much. I go through this thing in my head a lot, which I'm sure every rapper does, where you give your life to it. You literally give everything that you got. I come to work some days wearing the same thing two days in a row, baggy sweats, just dedicating my life to this. And there are times that I feel like I get the respect that I deserve, and there are times where I feel like I don't. The last of Eminem's most interesting tracks from the album Recovery is the song You're Never Over. Eminem wrote this as a tribute to his good friend Proof, and confesses that life just hasn't been the same since he's been gone, and that he vows to keep going for him and keep his legacy alive. Eminem was quoted as saying, It took me a long time to write the right song for him, and I think the two things that came into play with that 
One was just being in a better place to be able to deal with it. And as soon as I got that beat from Just, the chorus came in my head and I was like, yo, this could be it. I wrote anywhere from 8 to 10 records about Proof, but nothing was right until I got that beat. You're Never Over would also be one of the rare times that Eminem would let his guard down to sing during a song, with Proof and Haley the only ones he brings it out for, as Eminem sings the line, I just miss you too, Proof. While he admits he isn't the best singer, he was quoted as saying, I guess as long as the emotion is there, but it was one of those moments on the record where I feel like, okay, I finally did prove some kind of justice by being able to put that together and dump my heart on the record. It was one of those things that when I got towards the end of the record, I really didn't even care about making the rhyme crazy. I just wanted to say it. From September 2nd, 2010 to September 14th, Eminem toured with Jay-Z in a short run of four shows in New York and Detroit with a baseball-inspired theme. Eminem and Jay-Z came up with the idea when attending a baseball game back in May that year between the Detroit Tigers and New York Yankees, where they co-headlined games at each other's stadium. With Eminem being from Detroit and Jay-Z from New York, they decided to team up and do the same by performing in each other's city as co-headliners at the two baseball stadiums at Detroit's Comerica Park and New York's Yankee Stadium. Special guests at the gigs included D12, 50 Cent and Drake, while Lady Gaga and Akon also attended as spectators. On the 1st of February 2011, Eminem had another hit song when he teamed up again with Skylar Grey and Dr. Dre for the song I Need a Doctor. The song speaks about Dre's career so far and Eminem and Dre's bond over the years and how they have helped each other out and been there through the tough times together. Eminem thanks Dre for giving him his shot in the music biz and Dre vows to continue being there for him. I Need a Doctor was nominated for two Grammys and charted at number four in the US and eight on the UK mainstream charts. Lady Gaga was set to feature as the female vocalist on the track, but Eminem rejected this idea and instead brought in his new ally, Skylar Grey. Almost two months later, Eminem would team up with Royster 59 for a track titled Writer's Block, which sparked an interest in the pair working together on an album. On May 3rd, 2011, Eminem would release a track titled Fast Lane with his longtime pal Royster59, calling themselves Bad Meets Evil. The track did reasonably well, reaching number 32 on the Billboard Hot 100 in the US, but this wasn't the first time these two had collaborated. In fact, the two first met way back in 1997 when Royce was opening for Usher. The two quickly hit it off, and by 1999, they had released a double single, with nothing to do, charting at number 32 on the US rap chart, and Scary Movies, charting at 63 in the UK, with the song even being placed on the soundtrack for the Scary Movie parody film. Soon enough, Dr. Dre signed Royce to 59 to his label Aftermath Records, but after Dre informed Royce that he needed to fire his manager... Royce instead chose to end his partnership with Dr. Dre. Royce to 59 then decided to reject an offer to be the hype man on the anger management tour for Eminem, so Eminem instead hired his friend Proof. 
Tensions then rose between D12 and Royce, with Royce believing T12 were turning Eminem against him. So Royce to 5'9", wrote and released a number of diss tracks towards D12, resulting in Eminem having a falling out with Royce. Later in 2003, Royce and Proof then spotted one another and got involved in a heated brawl outside a club, resulting in the pair being arrested and thrown in lockup overnight. While locked up in adjacent cells, the two reconciled and made up for their feud with one another. Eminem, however, didn't get a chance to reconcile with Royce until Proof's funeral in 2006, where Eminem was quoted as saying, I think after we lost Proof, we realised how stupid this beef shit is. Fast forward to the year 2011, and Royce's group Slaughterhouse was signed to Eminem's label Shady Records, and ever since, they have been tight with one another. Promising young rapper Yellow Wolf would also be signed to Shady Records at the time, after Eminem thought he had an interesting background story, and he would also be the first white rapper that Eminem signed to his label. On June the 14th, 2011, Eminem and Royce to 59, aka Bad Meets Evil, put out their debut EP titled Hell the Sequel, which included nine tracks and managed to chart at number one on the US and Canadian mainstream chart, as well as number one on the UK R&B chart, and reached the top five in Australia, the UK, and Switzerland on their mainstream charts. Hell the Sequel sold just over one million copies. Their most successful track would be titled Lighters, featuring Bruno Mars, and was released on the same day, managing to chart inside the top five in five countries, including Canada, New Zealand, and the US, while also reaching number three on the UK R&B chart. On June 18th, 2011, Eminem finally released his last single from the recovery album, titled Spacebound and despite going two times platinum in the US, it failed to chart on the mainstream charts. In Spacebound, Eminem raps about a man chasing a woman as he is head over heels in love with her, but it was the controversial music video which saw Eminem shoot himself in the head, which raised some eyebrows. The video, however, was designed to show the effects of love and that it doesn't always work out, with the result sometimes being tragic. Eminem would perform his recovery hits live on a number of award shows, including the BET Awards, MTV Awards and Grammys that year, stealing the show every time, as he appeared alongside Rihanna, Dr. Dre, Skylar Grey and Adam Levine. During November 2012, Eminem collaborated with 50 Cent and Adam Levine for the track My Life that managed to peak at number two in the UK on both the mainstream and R&B charts with 50 Cent putting out his fifth album with Shady Records and Yellow Wolf with his second during this time also. By the end of 2012, it was clear that Eminem was well and truly back to his best, pumping out the hits and putting on display his new and improved lease of life, as he had now remained sober for a number of years. With his writer's block a thing of the past, Eminem was back in the studio writing and producing his eighth studio album as he looked to proclaim himself as the best in the business, or in his own words, as a rap god. Join us next time as Eminem further consolidates his legendary status in the music industry, but not without some more highs and lows as we wrap up his incredible journey so far. 
Thank you for tuning into that episode. Don't forget to check out our other episodes from Season 1 and 2, ranging from Kurt Cobain and Freddie Mercury to Prince, Chasey Chapman and Stevie Nicks, and up-and-comers like Youngblood, Tones and I, and The Kid Leroy. For more information regarding this episode, including weekly updates and more, head to our Facebook page at Lyrics of Their Life Podcast, or our website at lyricsoftheirlife.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and even YouTube and Spotify, where you can find a range of playlists featuring the music of every artist covered in the Lyrics of Their Life podcast so far. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to give back for the hard work that goes into it, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes, or you can now rate the podcast on Spotify. Don't forget to let your friends and family know about what they've been missing out on, and feel free to click the free subscribe or follow button to the podcast wherever you listen, so you can receive a notification every time a new episode becomes available. If you would like to support the podcast financially, then please feel free to head to Patreon or buymeacoffee.com, where you can contribute your support for the podcast in exchange for some bonus content, ranging from as little as $1 donations to really anything you like. Every bit of support is greatly appreciated, and it means I can continue to bring you more great episodes in the future. This podcast is created and researched completely independently, so your contribution would really help this podcast continue on. Once again, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I'm your host Adam Hampton, and this is Lyrics of Their Life.